Hi, I'm Michael Hartman. I'm Naomi Liu. And I'm Mike Rizzo. And this is OpsCast. A podcast for marketing ops pros. And RevOps pros. Created by the MoPros, the number one community for marketing operations professionals. Tune in to each episode as we chat with real professionals to help elevate you in your marketing operations career. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of OpsCast brought to you by the MoPros. I am Michael Hartman. Today, I'm joined by both co-hosts again, Naomi Liu and Mike Rizzo. Please say hello. Hey, everyone. Hey, everybody. Awesome. So today, we are talking with AJ Sedlak, Director of Marketing Automation at Smartsheet, about a topic that started from a LinkedIn post that he had a few weeks ago. So we're recording this in late September of 2021, so about a month ago that he posted about whether or not marketing ops can generate revenue without a marketing strategy. But we'll get to that in a minute. Before before AJ was at Smartsheet, he held several different marketing automation and marketing operations roles at Poly slash Polycom and also at Thermo Fisher Scientific. Uh, he's also been a graphic designer, web designer, including having his own agency, if I got that right. AJ, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Glad to hear you here. So this is good. I think this should be an interesting one because I know that the LinkedIn post, and we can we can share that post when we uh, post our show notes here. But um, it got a lot of activity. I know there were some some pretty uh, mouthy people, I guess, if you want to put it that way. <laughs> um, so okay, as I so like I said, it was kind of a provocative post, and it, and, uh, it triggered lots of those comments, interesting ones to some degree. So I thought, you know, rather than pointing everybody to it, since they're listening and we don't want them going to, you know, driving and going to LinkedIn while they're doing this, I'll read it verbatim and then we'll kind of get going. So here's what AJ said. I was mulling over the power of marketing operations and a thought occurred to me. Marketing strategy by itself with no operational support or execution can't really produce revenue. But for better or for worse, marketing operations has the potential to drive revenue without strategy. Am I wrong? All right. So. Before getting into some of the responses, I would love for you to share with our listeners what you were suggesting or kind of what triggered you maybe to, to make that post. Oh, certainly. Yeah, in my, uh, new, my new role here at Smartsheet, um, I'm really looking at how I can elevate the marketing automation team and get more of that strategic um, part of, of our job um, in play um, around the organization. And you know, get out of, you know, the, the typical situation of, you know, just being ticket uh, producers and that kind of thing. Um, and I was just kind of thinking through what is at the heart of the challenge. Um, and, and I saw that it's, in my opinion, it comes down to the fact that, that the operations can run, they can exist, and they can generate revenue, even if they have basically little or no strategy behind them. And, and I think, you know, I use the word strategy, but I also kind of mean skill that you can have these tactics, these platforms that run with almost anybody at the helm and you can drive revenue. Um, you, you may not thrive as an organization, but you can, you can make money. And, and I think that that's part of our, um, our challenge is as marketing operations professionals in trying to become more strategic is we, It'd be one thing if we could say, you know, you're not making any money, so we have to invest in strategy. But the problem is that that we are making money, and we have to try to tell this story about how we could make more money if we invested in strategy. And it's a very difficult discussion to have. 
Definitely. I mean, I think this gets to something. I mean, we uh, this is not something that I think we talked about before when we were kind of thinking about this, but I think it also gets a little bit to how should marketing ops be measured, right? And I think, I know me, I would love to be measured on some sort of thing that's tied to revenue, although it's really hard to justify that in my mind. So um, I know, Naomi, you've had, you've done some things around measuring the teams and have you ever looked at like trying to tie it at all to revenue or anything like that? Um, I think we try definitely. I think the majority of the uh, metrics that I set for my team and that I set um, as benchmarks um, against the organization is really around the services part, right? So, you know, the amount of tickets that we get, especially you know, measuring it during COVID, like we we increased sixty six percent in production and output without increasing headcount, right? So um, for for me, really, it's around the metrics around performance, um, time to close tickets, how do we like how long are projects taking? What's the average type of time to close for specific types of projects? Is it a calling campaign? Is it a, you know, a landing page with, you know, eight different languages? Are there, you know, different nurture programs that are tied to it as well? Um, those are really the main ones that we can control on our end. When it comes to the revenue piece, um, that's still something I'm struggling with because I find that, you know, at least on on at EFI, like once the lead goes into Salesforce and it goes into sales, it's like it's a lot harder for me to keep my hands around like, you know, are you following up within X amount of time? Are you like how many touches are you doing? Right. So it's like I have a bit of anxiety around that, too, because it's like when I can't if I can't control that process, I am a little bit more hesitant to figure out how to, how do you report on it? Right. And, you know, you have a baseline report, but then how do you improve on things? Um, and it's, you know, it's still a work in progress, like, you know, constantly meeting with sales, meeting with our lead development team. So, yeah. Yeah. I think totally. for, for me on that as well, Naomi, <clears throat> I don't know about you, AJ, but you know, when you think about our, we, we might actually have the ability to measure the speed to lead kind of functions, right? From whether whatever map you're using to your to your CRM and how quickly that gets in the hands of your team. Um, and you may also be able to, with you know proper kind of reporting and attribution and agreement across the the different platforms and teams, you might actually be able to kind of measure velocity as it moves through the sales funnel. Um, but Naomi, you know, you, you said, I, I don't really have a way to impact like the number of touches or some of those things. And for me, it sort of begs the question, like, do you want that responsibility, <laughs> right? Is that our responsibility? Um, and is that why we're seeing so much more around this idea of RevOps these days, um, you know, where we're trying to create that alignment versus like, you know, it might not be solely the marketing ops person or team's responsibility to think through velocity on once it kind of crosses into the sales hands. But as you start getting further into RevOps, the argument can be made that like, that's actually, you know, your, that's like their function, right? Is to think about how quickly can we get that deal across to, to sign and, you know, make sure it's actually getting followed up on and all that stuff. But so kind of going back, it was a bit of a ramble, but going back is like, do we really want that responsibility or is that where you just, you just find ways to continue in aligning? And it sounds like Naomi for you, it's just a partnership play, mm -hmm. but AJ, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts too. Yeah. I mean, I think you bring up some good points and, and I think in, in my sort of definition of strategy, I think that what you do about the reporting aspect, when you talk about things like velocity, or you talk about attribution, I think that's all part of strategy because 
it's you know if you just report on the information that's just i mean you're sitting in a car in park you're looking in the rearview mirror right that you're i mean you're a historian at that point but when you start taking that that data and you say what can we learn from this you start to do some analysis you start to bring some insight and you use that to decide how you move forward that's when you're now writing the story of the future and you're becoming uh, you know, strategic at that point by using that data and not just, you know, the, the, the board might like to see these dashboards and see how have you performed, but as a marketing or sales organization, we need to say, okay, so these are the steps we've taken. This is where we've arrived. Where do we step next? What path do we take next? And that, that to me is part of strategy. You know, it's not just, um, you know, brand. It's not just, um, you know, how do we design, you know, what's our, what's our catching new slogan? You know, how do we, how do we get that in the hands of people? It, it's also about that, uh, that use of data in a smart way. Hey everyone, it's Mike Rizzo here, and I'm interrupting your episode to bring you a brief message about, you might've guessed it, Mopsapalooza 2024, our second annual conference held in the vibrant city of Anaheim, California. We're hosting this hybrid event from the 5th of November through the 8th, and we would love for you to join us in person in Anaheim. But if you can't, please join us via live stream, courtesy of our sponsor, Excelivets. We're excited to offer an opportunity for professionals just like you to connect, learn, and grow among the best in the industry. Our event promises to be a highlight of the year, offering invaluable professional development experiences, live workshops, and of course, networking with your peers. Don't miss out on this incredible gathering right next to Disneyland in Southern California. Tickets are going fast. We will cap registration at 700 attendees. Secure your pass by visiting marketingops.com today. And we're looking forward to welcoming you to what is guaranteed to be an unforgettable event. It might just be the best event you've ever attended. But don't take my word for it. You can ask the community at any time. We'll see you there. Yeah, it makes, I, I, I think that's great. I was, and I was also thinking like one of the things I like to think about, and I do think this is where we could potentially tie it is marketing ops and, and revenue ops in a, to the greater, to a greater extent as well, have the ability to help affect potentially um, what I call like the, the micro conversions of somebody, you know, a customer journey mm-hmm. in the places you can go and maybe making it a little more efficient or automating components of it and things like that, where you can have, I think uh, uh, still it's. I still feel like it's indirect, right? I struggle like Naomi. I think about how how do I actually, if I was asked to take responsibility for a revenue number, um, just purely as marketing ops, I would it would be hard. That would be a hard pill to swallow. I think. Um, although I'm not sure I would run away from it either. If I could get use that as a way to get some more control or something. <laughs> um, so you know so. One of the one of the I think one of the consistent things AJ in the, in the kind of the commentary on your initial post was really a number of people sort of debating the value or relative importance of strategy and I like that you defined it a little bit ago about what you think of it and tactics or tactical activities so the getting shit done kind of part of the job you know so. Um, I, maybe you were, I'm not sure if you were thinking about this before you made the post, but like, what is, can, what's your take on the, the, the relationship between strategy and tactics uh, or strategy and execution? I know I put, I posted like one of my favorite books 
business books I ever read was called Execution, The Discipline of Getting Things Done. And it really changed my view about the importance of strategy versus the ability to execute and be accountable and all that. But, yeah. So, A, like, did you have a kind of a thought going in about that? And B, after, you know, some of the reactions, has your point of view shifted at all? Yeah, you know, I think um, when I think of the tactics um, and, you know, I, I spent a lot of time working with small businesses and I think this is part of where my mindset was on some of this, you know, it, it's really easy if you're starting a business to just be checking boxes and, you know, you go and you say, okay, I'm, I'm going to start this this business. It's a store or a restaurant or whatever. So what, I'm, what am I going to do? I'm going to, uh, maybe I'm going to incorporate myself. I'm going to open a bank account, maybe get the you know, employer identification number, that kind of thing. But, you know, some of those also, uh, those boxes you also get to are, I'm going to launch a Facebook page. I'm going to go to Squarespace or whatever, and I'm going to set up a .com website. You know, and th- those aren't strategic decisions. Those are just checking boxes. This is what I have to do to start my business, right? So to me, that's a purely tactical, purely operational activity. You know, if you just say, okay, here's uh, here's my website. I've got my phone number on there. I've got a contact us form, you know, whatever. Um, but when you start to look at, you know, what content should I have on there? And what what are my customers going to be looking for? How do I get you know, a particular message across? You know, that's when you start to elevate. And, you know, I kind of look at it as there's there's sort of four levels of operational maturity. Like you'd start off purely tactical and then you get into where you're a little bit more thoughtful and then strategic. When you start to like look at data, you start to really uh, use market research or whatever to make decisions. And then you get into innovative where you don't even need the data to make decisions. You have gotten to a point where you can anticipate the right ways to go based on sort of ancillary data that, that you've seen in the past or experience and you start to really kind of push push your business in ways that um, isn't just waiting for feedback from from your customers you know some of the things that you you see from uh, a lot of the big tech tech companies for example like apple and stuff that you know where they they are giving you things that you didn't even know you needed um, and as far as you know did my thinking adjust um i wouldn't say i changed my mind exactly so much as um, it did kind of cause me to further define what I meant by strategy, you know, and that's where I started to think more about uh, some of the data aspects and the, uh, you know, what the strategy really mean. Um, you know, and there was um, one person on there that kind of brought up the subject of a strategy consultant, you know, that that their argument was that strategy was was generating revenue. And I kind of felt that the point there was that the strategy was a product in that case, you know, not, not really the, the same thing I was thinking about, but um, you know, I always interested to, to kind of see how, and this was one of those posts where it kind of like started off as a rant and I thought, I can't post this. I kind of boil it down to, <laughs> you know, what, what are like kind of the core, the core points I want to make and like, let's see, let's see what people think about this. Um, and so it was, it was kind of interesting just to see what, uh, what people came up with um, in terms of what they thought I meant. Yeah, and there were there were people that kind of interpreted it as me suggesting that we should operate without strategy. <laughs> that is definitely not the case. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I think I think as you get into strategy discussions too, like for me, and in, in just going going back to the example of like getting your business off the ground, right? Like a lot of people feel like you sort of need to check some boxes um, that go a little beyond some of the basics, like. Um, 
you know, I, oh, I'm going to post on social media, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I'm and I'm going to post on all of the social media platforms, um, and and you, you you don't really know why. Are you talking um, about MySpace, Mike? <laughs> <laughs> yes, MySpace. Yes, it's a, it's a great company, by the way. No, uh, and so so you know you're you're doing these actions, and um, at the end of the day, you know, I think I think as we get into discussions around strategy, I I sort of can't ever um skip this the the simon sinek like start with why um you know video content that's out there and for the listeners that haven't yet gone to discover that content go look up simon sinek look up start with why put the combo together on google and and that's exactly it right like it really starts with why are you doing this um please don't just post on social media for no reason he's a great follow on Uh, linkedin too if you follow him on linkedin yeah. yeah Yeah, yeah, that's a good call out for sure. So, so yeah, for when it comes to strategy, like you, you definitely need to start asking the questions like why, uh, and letting some of the, um, the data and the reporting that you're talking about, AJ, where you're you're not looking in the rearview mirror, but you're actually thinking ahead, one level. Like, what are the analytics that we want to be looking at to be able to make an informed decision? Because like the reality is, is you can measure everything, uh, but that's not necessary, right? And so you can start ahead of time and say, we need to specifically be thinking about these types of analytics to allow us to make informed decisions as we continue to you know improve upon our strategy. And so as you think about the tactics that you're going to deploy into the market, you know I need visibility on these measures in order to understand you know what what does success look like. And defining success is a very strategic thing that needs to happen, uh, you know, across the organization. Uh, and I think, I think that's where, you know, I've, I've been in a lot of different organizations. And right now, that's definitely something that we're talking a lot about is like, what are the analytics we need visibility on for the activities we're performing so that we can make a better decision? Yeah, I think that's super important because, you know, if you, if you get to point B, and you you treat that alone as success that's just that's something but that's not really you know was this the, the place we really wanted to be you know and, and would we would mm-hmm. we come here again um and, and i think you know your point about defining those metrics up front is really important from a you know if you want to go purely tactical on that point you know how many times have, have you know people out there done some sort of activity and then they get a request later like hey can you tell me a, this piece of data about it and it's like, well, no, because we didn't know we had to measure that. So in order to do that, we would have had to do it a little bit differently. Uh, it would have been possible, but we didn't know. You know, and yeah. having having that sense ahead of time of of what that success is, it also you know kind of puts you in a position of trying to justify why we're why we're doing this. If you can't define how you would measure success, then I think you really have to think about whether it's an activity that you should be doing. Totally. Yeah. I'm, I'm a hundred, like the, the concept of start with why, or just like building a, a hypothesis, right? So if, if, for example, you have a go-to-market strategy and, you know, it's like, oh, we need to generate a thousand leads a quarter. Let's just be hypothetical about it. And you're like, these are the tactics with which we believe are the strongest plays for us to try to generate a thousand leads a quarter. Uh, one of those tactics is podcasting. Um, so it sounds like I'm talking about us, but I'm not, uh, the other tactic is, you know, content production, eBooks. And then the other one is social media posts. And so what 
analytics do you need to have in place in order to understand which of those three tactics are kind of performing the best against each other and and how long so when you think about like producing content for um, a webinar or a podcast or something does success like does a pass or fail happen in one week or does a pass or fail happen in a year what's the time horizon before you even understand like where some of these strategies and tactics you're deploying and the analytics you're collecting actually become viable resources for you. And I think all of that plays into this idea of like strategy and tactics and execution and being strategic about how you go to market. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, yeah. Yeah. Thoughts and the, the, uh, the, you know, the idea of self benchmarking, I think is, is really important because, you know, uh, Michael, I know you, you've uh, coined that phrase, the, the fallacy of best practices, um, which, you know, I love because the, the best practices idea is, is, I mean, it's fine if you have nowhere to start from, but it's really frustrating when you do have experience, you do have data of your own. And, you know, there's somebody saying like, how do we get the best practices? And it's like, well, best practices for us now is just trying to be better than we were. You know, it's, it's looking at how can we do this thing better or should we continue to do this thing or stop doing it? You know, and, and at that point, best practices and best practices are just an opinion anyway, right? I mean, there's, uh, I, I can't think of a single topic out there that, uh, you know, there's anybody that can can really say purely, this is this is the the goal, this is the thing that you need to do. You know, it's it's all about you know what uh, the the different nuances between our businesses and our organizations, what what works for our goals and what works for our audience, and uh, you know what what can we actually make happen with the business parameters we have, the funding that we have or whatever. So, so best practices is, is only useful if you don't know where to start from. Yeah. Yeah. That, it, yeah. Business parameter, like funding team, team size, skills, tech, what resources do you have? You know, resources that broadly, I think all play into all that stuff. Well, and then you, there's like some of the stuff that's not even, it's really difficult to measure that you can't really carry forward like culture. Mm -hmm. culture can make such a difference in how a particular practice in one place may or may not work effectively at the next place. Right. So um, it's interesting. Like this is all like in my head right now, just sort of evolving. So bear with it. But you you were talking about like, if you're looking back, you know, you're, you're measuring stuff, but you're looking in the rearview mirror with it. I thought what it made me think was like, Oh, well the next thing is you're going to be continuing to go forward. But I was like, well, that also implies like you're going into uncharted territory again, like you're almost starting over. And I was like, probably like the mental model I now have when I, I was like, there's this circle, right? You're going through a cycle, you're going through a cycle, whatever that frequency is, Mike, right? Whether it's, you're doing it weekly, biweekly, quarterly, maybe it's different for every tactic. Or if you're going like big branding efforts, right? Which are probably long, should be long periods of time. I don't know that most like marketers get that much leeway to really show the value of like truly branding kind of efforts. But like that idea, like what you want to do is make that, that next cycle around, right. More efficient, more effective, better results, whatever those key metrics are that you're, you're driving at. Um, sorry. I'm like, I don't even know how, like, I'm just, I'm just say, saying that I don't even really have another point about it other than it just sort of like, occurred to me. Like there's, like maybe no, that makes part. sense. I, yeah. I I think it makes sense, uh, Michael. It's like you're you're you know as you circle back around to to you know simultaneously you're you're performing all of these actions, right? Let's just use the this idea of like um, we're going to produce webinars once a month for the entire year. 
And, and that's all like the CTA at the end of every webinar is to like end up buying the product, right? Whatever product it is that you're selling. Um, you certainly cannot measure the success of that entire initiative after like one or two webinars is done, right? Um, but at the end of the year, you could look backwards and understand holistically uh, across like the initiative of webinars relative to paid advertising, you know, what was what was successful there? Like which one of those from a CPL perspective, we, we properly, you know, aligned our data to be able to measure that entire initiative. Um, but then what gets really interesting is like, but like which specific, you know, webinar topics were the most relevant to our audience. And like, so when you cite that whole idea of like cycling back around kind of the way I'm thinking about your, your thing, Michael, is like, as we circle back and we decide, Hey, like this initiative is actually good for us. Uh, the idea of like becoming more efficient or more effective or doing it better next time around, we're going to double down on this, but we're specifically going to go a little deeper and we're going to say, Hey, this webinar strategy is good, but we could probably make it better as long as we stay focused on these, you know, couple of topic areas or something like that. And so that's, that's kind of the forward backward thinking type of like, how do you let strategy and tactics kind of come together, uh, you know, in the rear view and in a forward thinking that that's how I'm interpreting. Yeah. I think you hit on some, some really interesting points there about the, and when you talk about webinars as an illustration and saying, okay, these topics seem to resonate, you know, when, when you do things, some of these tactical things and you want them to then carry forward into your future decisions, you have to have some sort of a framework around how do you define them? You know, even just looking at something simple like subject line, a B tests, right? I mean, you do, you do a B test and you can say, okay, so we know that of those two subject lines, this one performed better. But what do you do next time? You're not going to use those same subject lines for the next email. So you have to have some sort of a categorization, some sort of taxonomy where you say, okay, so we, we're comparing ones where we used the, the person's name or we used a number or we used exclamation points. You, know, you, you have to have some sort of a uh, decision-making framework to say next time, you know, let, let's say we've, we've done several of these tests we've we've got a lot of data on different subject lines how do we look at them and say okay these are the ways that that you know we should craft our subject line in the future and it's the same thing for for webinars or for you know paid search ads or any of that that you know how how do you take something and turn it into a, a very kind of almost black and white way to make a decision for something that's you know in many ways different but you want to get those same mm-hmm. results you want to build on those results and move forward Mm-hmm. Piggybacking it, on that, me, I'm, I'm curious if Go ahead. if you guys have um, ever run into issues where, you know, you have clear data that points you in a certain direction, but then there's, you know, sometimes there's lots of cooks in the kitchen or just even pers- like even for myself personally, trying to fight that urge of, you know, personal bias, right? You're like, oh, but I really like this better, but the data says this and I really don't want to do that, but it says I should, you know, I just I'm curious about how you guys kind of overcome that, right? Or is it always a matter of like the data speaks and the data is the only source of truth? And, you know, what does that look like for everyone? Mm. Questions like that always bring me back to one of my favorite Mark Twain quotes, which is there are lies, damn lies and statistics, right? So <laughs> like there may be data. This is what it drives me like data can say kind of whatever you want it to say in some cases. So but I, I do think I, I do think fighting biases is a really difficult thing. I like other podcasts I listen to get into that kind of stuff. And like I know it's there. I have my own biases. We all have our own biases and it's it's 
it's really tough to do to, to deal with. I, I I don't know that I have an answer for it, Naomi. Yeah, there's actually a really good than... uh, episode of the podcast, Cautionary Tales, that talks about um, how data can be used to tell any story that you want. Um, I think it was about Florence Nightingale. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it's it's certainly there's there's a very straightforward way of looking at it. Like, okay, it's a it's a act of setting aside your ego and saying I'm going to listen to the data and go where where it points um, or choose not to, um, which, you know, certainly I think we've probably all had situations like that. Um, and I can think back to when I first started using the idea of testing in email marketing and, you know, kind of having this hypothesis and seeing the results and being like, oh, wow, I was wrong. I thought I knew so much, but I was wrong. And kind of getting out of that mindset of, well, it's, you know, it's not an ego thing. It's not that, you know, I'm, I, I'm, I'm dumb. It's just that, uh, you know, I had a hypothesis and that's why you test is, is to not let it be about what, what is somebody's opinion. It's about what resonates. Totally. I, uh, at one point in my career, I, I definitely had that same moment, right. Where I was doing a lot of email marketing and, uh, it was certainly a subject line kind of categorization exercise, right? Like, uh, categorically we, we bucketed them maybe into two or three things. And, um, I had a hunch, I had a hunch that like one of the versions was going to be categorically better than, than the rest. And, uh, I ended up being wrong, but, uh, you know, pointing out the idea that you can have a data, data, tell you any story you want. I was like, well, if I filter it down to just the customers that came from this audience, it's actually right. So well, they're the right, that was the real audience you wanted anyway, right? My yeah, you didn't want the other the people that were like actually opening the one that won. It's, they're they're just not from the right audience. They're the, the real buyers are over here. So let's just filter out that noise. Well, <laughs> so. and that reminds me of it, 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 there was uh, early in my time at Text Instruments when I joined there. I I was in my first ever one of the few times I've been to it where I went to a like behind the one-way mirror, two-way mirror. I can never remember which it is, right? And like literally standing up in the middle of it, going like almost wanting to bang on the that mirror going, what are you talking about, right? Because, and it was like, that was, so Naomi, maybe this is it. Like that was the big aha for moment for me to stop and go, wait a minute. Like I've got my own, like I have my own way of thinking about this, whatever it was. I don't even remember what the topic was, probably about our website or something because that's what I was doing in those days. But it was like, oh, I need to stop thinking about how I think about it or how the people internally think about it. And it completely changed how I thought about that kind of stuff. And it, it listened to feedback from people, both internally and externally. Yeah. And there's, um, uh, don't think it's around anymore, but, um, there used to be a site called witch test one. And you know, if you ever needed a dose of humility, I remember that. um, it, it was definitely the place to go because it would, it would give you, you know, two side-by-side tests and you would try to guess which one, was a successful one. And I, I think I was probably wrong 75% of the time. So, you know, you, you, you yeah, take I remember like that, that site. and you start to see, uh, you know, I, I totally remember that site too. Mm-hmm. I'm like actively trying to Google it right now. Mm-hmm. See if it still Maybe exists. on way back <laughs> archive funny. or something. Yeah. yeah. It's funny. But yeah, like, and I also did paid search and other ad, like, like you couldn't decide between one word and ad copy. Right. And you, my guess would be, oh, it's this one word that would be the one that was winner, and I'd be, I was wrong, just like AJ said, like probably wrong two thirds, three fourths of the time. So, yeah, it's interesting I, stuff. Um, and I think strategy can can dictate all of the experiments, right, and all the hypotheses that you put out there. But like um, when you when you think about like the types of things that we're going to do as a marketing operations organization, I yeah, I think you can just go execute on things without really having any 
uh, hypothesis in place. And I, it sort of begs like, where does strategy come from for you, AJ? Like, I'd be curious to know, like, you know, you started off our conversation today around this idea of like, um, trying to find alignment, you know, and, and kind of what's next for you and the team and, and your stack. Uh, is that purely coming from you or like, you know, were you kind of brought in to Smartsheet with the idea that like, hey, we, we need help shaping this um, or, you know, are other people involved? Like how's, how's strategy kind of playing into all of all of what you're building there? Yeah, fortunately for me, it was uh, it was definitely um, part of the design in, in hiring me to this role was that they were looking for somebody that could drive that uh, that story with the with the. Uh, with the stakeholders and um, you know, there, there's, there's some pockets of resistance and I think, you know, it goes back to a lot of the, the habits that people have built where, you know, there, there are organizations where the, the mops team is just punching tickets. Right. Um, and, mm-hmm. and that's kind of what they're used to. And, and in fact, I had a really good conversation with one of my marketing colleagues at Smartsheet when I was kind of doing my initial road trip around. And um, you know, she said that originally when she started working with, the marketing automation team there that she was getting some feedback from them, some questions, some ideas. And her initial response was, you know, what are you doing? Just do the thing I asked and, and let's move on. And she said, but in time I started to see that there was actually a lot of wisdom there. And there was actually some things that I could, you know, take advantage of and improve what I was doing. And, and she said, now I love it. You know, I, I love that that, uh, that relationship was there and that they felt, you know, willing to have that conversation. And, and so she kind of, you know, realized that she could check her ego and there was this, this opportunity to, to use the team as a resource. Um, and that's really the, the kind of thing that I'm trying to build throughout the rest of our organization um, and, and kind of just get my foot in the door with some ideas. And, and, you know, I think part of the key too is, is presenting a, uh, an environment of psychological safety with my team that, you know, they feel, uh, empowered to, you know, have ideas, even if they might be wrong, even if they're met with a little bit of, uh, of reluctance or, or even hostility that, you know, this is what we're here for. We are experts in how to use this tactic in, in a good way. And we're not just the email mm-hmm. team or the Marketo team. Um, you know, one of the, the songs I keep singing to uh, anybody who will listen is that a lot of our work is actually trying to avoid sending emails. Um, and that, you know, that, that requires thought that requires, you know, how do we, how do we reduce frequency without reducing the impact of what we're trying to communicate? Um, mm-hmm. so, you know, we're having kind of a lot of conversations around the business of, of how do we, how do we take these batches and turn them into, to, you know, strategic drips and, um, you know, it reduces the, the amount of people that we have to have on the, on the, uh, team, if we don't have to keep executing on the same stuff all the time. And we can turn some things always on. We can we can combine some messages, uh, some of those kinds of uh, you know. One of my uh, uh, previous managers had uh, used the, the term stratactical that that I love, which is, which is that strategic use of a tactic, right? Um, so that that's where we we say, okay, so there's this thing we do. You know, we're doers, but there's there's a good way to do it, and there's a bad way to do it, and you know, we we are trying to always be striving for that good way to do it. Um, you know, and one of the I saw a thing on LinkedIn just a little bit after my post. Um, there was a, a a guy who's a founder of some organization. I'm not going to you know call him out or anything, um, but he said you know he asked if anybody had experience setting up 
email automations and triggered sequences. They were they were looking for you know tools and best practices, and you know I think that that kind of resonated with me in this topic, which was you know when you talk about it's not just about strategy, it's also about the skill of the people in that tactic, you know, here's somebody who, you know, was essentially some sort of a, you know, a, a startup exec or whatever, and they were going and I guess going to execute on marketing automation, you know, and they don't have any experience in it. And they're, they're basically looking for what, what are people going to put in my LinkedIn comments? Now I'm going to build my, my business practice around that. Right. They, they, they wanted the, uh, the quick fix recipe. So, <laughs> I think this leads us into like another question here. So there was another, one of the commenters on your post, a fellow by the name of Richard Grillo. So Richard, if you're listening, thank you. Uh, and he suggested a follow-up question, which was how much marketing ops versus marketing strategy is truly needed at any given company? And I think this is you know, another debatable question because it really comes down to the, you know, the company itself is what he said. So, um, so how about we take him up on that question? Do you have any thoughts? Right, you know, you were just sort of describing a scenario of somebody at a startup who was like part of the marketing strategy in air quotes, right? Was to execute on marketing automation, and then you described what you're doing at probably. I, I guess Smartsheet is now sort of a bigger company. I don't know that it's the same size you've been at, but you know, what's your thought? Like, how? What do you think that balance is of what you call strategic, strategic, strategic? <laughs> Yeah. Uh. Um, yeah. I mean, I think it, it really does depend on the company. I mean, it depends, you know, how how big you are and, and how you're running things. You know, if you're a sales led or product led company, it changes uh, your strategy uh, drastically. And and I think uh, if I remember Richard's comment correctly, I think he um, had had mentioned something about uh, you know like a cruise ship that doesn't really have anybody at the helm, and you know it's yeah you you can be making progress, but you, it may not be meaningful progress, which I think is a really important uh, you know, caveat to put on that term. You know, the, there's there's progress, there's meaningful progress, and there's you know there's also maximum progress. You know, are we are we really doing the best we could be doing? Um, I think a lot of it comes down to what role data plays in your organization. Um, you know, we we use this um, phrase data driven a lot, um, but I think that a lot of people use that term to just refer to reporting. So I think you know, coming back to the idea of one hundred percent, yeah, um, and, and I think that's just um, that you know that's just looking backwards. So I, I don't really think you're being data driven if all you're doing is reporting. You know, data driven is when you're taking that data and you're using that to literally drive yourself forward. And, and I think that you know having a good analytics practice in your organization, having you know investment in in BI and uh, you know having uh, you know an actual look at you know when you even when we, when you create dashboards you know are you doing it in a way that that makes the right information visible and are and you know are you also including a bunch of metrics that don't matter you know how are you actually telling that story um, so I think that's that's really important um, to and you know analytics is an interesting beast because you 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 have this idea of okay we're asking the company to invest money so that we can make sure we're investing our money well. Um, so it's a little bit of a, you know, <laughs> it's, uh, it's one of the hardest things. <laughs> yeah. You, you mean I need to buy a tool to understand how my other tool is working? <laughs> right. Right. You know, and, and same uh, thing with MarTech, you know, you, you, you bring technology on to, to not have to staff up people and then you need to staff up people to make sure the technology runs. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, wait, we, so we bought Marketo 
And, you know, we're going to be able to send all these automated emails, but like, I can't send an automated like blog post, like newsletter RSS feed until I go buy another tool to help me do that. Like what? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's always a hard lesson learned. Yeah. <laughs> it drives me crazy now that the, that whole category of the, you know, Marketo, Eloqua, HubSpot is marketing automation because the automation part is, it's bullshit basically, right? It's not, <laughs> there's, there's some amount of automation, but at the end of the day, there's still a lot of care and feeding and work that goes into using them. Yeah. And I think yeah. that, um, you know, that there's this impression that the robots are doing all the work. And, and, you know, the point I make is that it's, it's kind of a garbage in garbage out situation that, you know, it's the marketing automation platforms, they're going to scale whatever you put into it. So if you hire like, you know, a junior person who's, you know, two years out of college has no guidance, has no idea what they should be doing in the organization. You say, okay, you're going to run our Marketo instance. You're going to scale mediocrity, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But if you invest in people that that you know have, uh, you know, an understanding of marketing and you know even some of the things you know that have been on this podcast before, talking about an understanding of finance and and how businesses work, you know, psychology, all of these things, and you you invest in the right people. And you get excellence in there and the human factor, then you scale excellence and you Mm -hmm. end up because Marketo is going to cost you the same, whether you have, you know, one junior person running it or 10 experienced people running it. Right. Um, So you, if you if you invest more from a dollar perspective sure right. but the uh <laughs> the debt that you could create the technical <laughs> debt that you can create depending on who's in there first Definitely. right uh that could be well, really scary and there, yeah and there's an opportunity cost right so mm-hmm. what else could you have done that you wouldn't be able to which is you can't really even it's really yeah. difficult to put a number on it right it's, yeah. it's you don't one know of those fallacies know. or biases that we all struggle with man. I mean, right and and when we have that mm-hmm. uh, that view of those parallel universes where we can see what would have happened if we had made a different decision then it'll be perfect but until then we have to have to try to convince people otherwise yeah i got a question when i was at uh i, I just came back from saster this week and two days ago i was talking to this uh this guy who kind of heads up sales and marketing and they're bringing in a new VP of marketing. And, and he says, I really need help finding a marketing ops person for our HubSpot environment. Um, and, and so I'm like, yeah, let me see, like, we'll, we'll do our best, right? We'll, we'll put a job post out there. I'll share what a good job post looks like. And then he asked me, um, and mind you, I don't have a purview on that. I actually borrowed that from the community. Like the community shared what a good job post looks like. So I'll share what the community shared with me. Uh, but he then asked me, what's your take on when's the right time to hire a marketing ops person? And I, I, I certainly gave him my answer, but like we kind of went down this path just now. Right. So I'm curious, AJ, like when do you think, you know, company size, revenue size. Uh, what do you think? We even just talked about an early stage founder who was like, just going to deploy some sort of marketing automation themselves. Right. And was asking for advice on LinkedIn. So like, does that person need a marketing ops person or, or what do you think? Yeah. I mean, I think from pretty much day zero, you need, you need something in marketing ops. Now, whether that is, you know, your future CMO who has experience in, in ops to some extent, or whether it's, you know, a, a true, you know, expert. I, I think that we're we're maybe driving towards a world now um, where people are, are really starting to understand how important that is, and that it's not just something you throw any warm body at. And there, there's actually value in staffing it well. Um, so I, I think we're going to see that that becomes much more important much earlier in 
the stage of, uh, of, mm-hmm. of companies. Um, so, you know, I think you can't hardly go wrong from uh, higher, as soon as you get to the point where, you know, we need to start thinking about how we're going to market this. You know, if you're, if you're maybe a SaaS startup and you're spending a lot of time just engineering up front, you know, you don't necessarily need the marketing ops person day one for that. But you know, once you start saying, okay, we're going to, uh, you know, start monetizing this and, and we're going to start uh, you know, getting our, our, our work out there, um, you definitely need somebody who's who kind of understands to some extent how to do that strategically. Mm-hmm. I think even yeah, before you have strategy. Sorry, I think even <laughs> before you even have any tools too, right? Because you need somebody to set that strategy, that framework. You know, do all of the discovery with the different um, people in the organization, even if it's a small company, and you know, just to determine like what are the tools that are best, right? As opposed to just okay, well, I'm buying this because I have a relationship with the co-founder, or you know, I, I've heard good things about this and it's brand recognition. But really, just kind of determining. You know, somebody who can come in and say, you know, are we, should we get Marketo or should we, are we, do we need HubSpot right now? Or is that something, you know, just what do we need to do before we can, you know, do the whole crawl, walk, run scenario, right? I think that's important because there's been a lot of folks that, you know, I've known in the marketing ops industry who have gone into an organization where, you know, maybe senior leadership has bought a whole suite of tools and now they need they need to hire somebody to run them all. But then they go in and they're like, well, I would never have put these in here to begin with. Right. So mm-hmm. and then it becomes oh, an yeah. expensive One endeavor. All these contracts. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. One of my good friends is going through that right now. There's like he's you know, um, head of marketing ops at a company and they have like something like 20 something tools. He's going to cancel all the contracts and bring it down to like five. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. yeah. I think that's a, that's it's a really good, good an overlooked point that, you know, the, the choice of technology is a strategy in itself, you know, for, mm-hmm. for you, know, you don't want to hire somebody who's only got experience in, you know, say Eloqua. And so they say, okay, so we're going to go and we're going to get Eloqua on board. You know, you, you want somebody who's going to be platform agnostic and say, what does the business need? What's the right platform to meet our goals at this stage? You know, you can, you can sign mm-hmm. up for Eloqua or Marketo later, but maybe right now all you need is MailChimp. Right. Yeah, right. totally. Well, I, I, I mean, I've, it, I was in a, in a, uh, I'm in another community where it's sort of senior marketing and sales and customer success leaders. And there was one, there's a group of marketers who I remember someone who was sort of who's struggling as a, the only marketing person at a startup. And she was like, if I, you know, and there were a number of us that were, we have to be talking about MarTech. And she's like, yeah, if you could choose one, right, invest in tech or invest in people, which would you do? And I was like, I would go get a person first before I get tech. And this is the guy, this is, I'm the guy here on the call who's a believer in the tech and the op stuff, but totally think that the people part of it is probably trumps the technology. Cause if you get the right person, you can make the technology do like work, work. It's the best. Totally. And, and that was definitely one of the things, uh, pretty much. I don't think I said as, uh, as many, nuggets of wisdom as were just shared in the, in the like two or three minutes that all of you just shared to this individual that asked me this question. But I definitely um, try to overemphasize the idea that when you find that marketing ops person to bring into your organization, please, please, please bring them into your the, the strategy discussions that are uh, relevant to them and are acceptable for them to be a part of, of course, from a business perspective. But, you know, things like hey, we think that the territory model we're deploying next uh, next year is going to be really impactful for us. And so we want to kind of think about ABM as a strategy, right? And so 
bring that person in sooner rather than later before you just turn around and then go like buy six cents. And they're like, Hey, by the way, we bought six cents. Like, uh, you know, will you do this? Just make it work. (laughs) Yeah. Just make it work. And, and, and those are, those are things that I think historically have been overlooked. I, I think at this point, we're seeing a bit of a shift, right? Where they're starting to think about like who who are kind of our technical, our our Martech stack kind of advisors internally, and and like let's let's start bringing them in to think about like, hey, if we wanted to do this, you know, what would be the best way to do it? But that was the thing that I was emphasizing, right? Like, you know, and Naomi, you you said the same thing. AJ, Michael, like get somebody who's there who can think about the strategy of the tool selections based on stage or direction, uh, and then you know go procure the software that you need to get there. So he was super appreciative of that. So hopefully we can go find that guy, a a HubSpot person now. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. So this has been a really fun conversation. AJ, I wish we had like, I think we could probably carry on as we usually are like at the end thinking we could carry on for another 15, 20, 30 minutes again. But that being said, I think it's time to call it, episode done aj thank you so much for your insight today thanks for starting that conversation on linkedin a month ago that led to this if My folks pleasure. online or whatever want to kind of keep up with you or follow you or whatever how how can they do that uh you can find me on linkedin or in the mopros community on slack fantastic naomi mike thanks as always all right thanks thank everybody you. thanks aj thank you and all of our listeners, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, continue to rate, review, send feedback, send suggestions for guests and topics. We're always looking forward to it. Until next time, bye. Bye. bye.